Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the promotions or audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com/writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business: editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author JD Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writers Inc. Well, welcome back to our Q&A episode. We do this every month, and here we are for the October episode. Um, so let's just get right into it. Zach, uh, cue it up for you. What kind of questions we got from listeners this week? We got some good ones, so let's get started. Let's go ahead and uh, start with a voice question. This one is from Rebecca Bryan. Hey, guys. This is Rebecca Bryan, or Beck. My question is, what are different considerations, if any, for writing, publishing, and marketing nonfiction compared to fiction? And do you have any tips for someone who's looking to dabble in nonfiction? Thanks. That sounds like a really good Jay Thorne question (laughs) to start out. It's a massive question. Beck probably doesn't uh, realize it, but uh, I don't know. JD, I think you'll probably back me up on this. I think marketing fiction and nonfiction are completely different. Uh, almost, almost to the point, like we're talking about different mediums. I mean, do you see it that way too? Yeah. I mean, everything about it. I mean, if you're in the traditional world, you, you typically sell nonfiction just on the pitch, you know, you create a, a synopsis and an outline, you know, not even an outline, just basically a rough idea of what the book is going to be about. Um, and typically that's how you get your deal. And then you go out there and you write the book. So that that's obviously very different. Um, one of the other considerations I always tell people, you know, if they, if they want to dabble in that is, um, you know, the television markets too, because if you're doing nonfiction, you know, there's a lot of talk shows, a lot of 24 hour news channels, um, things like that. So if you've got an angle that will work, on, on that front, you know, those are very easy paychecks. You know, a couple minutes on, on CNN is a nice payday. Um, so, that, you know, it's something else to consider. Um, so yeah, I think if you're doing nonfiction, you kind of have to look at all of that um, before you, you sit down and, and narrow down what the, the book is actually going to be about. And then, you, you know, you still have to figure out if you're going to do the indie or traditional thing and, and go from there. I think the thing to remember, too, with nonfiction is that you are typically trying to solve someone's problem. And that opens up an entirely different avenue for marketing, as, as you mentioned, J.D. And, I mean, even taking it down to the local level, things like calling your local news affiliate and getting featured on that or going on the local news morning show or radio spots or 
uh, local groups, like if you're writing a book about gardening, like are there gardening Facebook groups that are local to where you are? Like those are those are all strategies I think that are are very different for nonfiction and fiction. Yeah, I'm seeing that right now for, with a uh, <clears throat> my friend Brittany just put out a nonfiction book that's pretty locally centric and. I mean, she's doing all that stuff, getting, I actually got interviewed for a local newspaper because I helped her out with the book and she had a big launch party last week and sold a ton of copies and was sitting there signing and, and all that stuff. And I, I think another aspect to think about too, that makes nonfiction different, and this could go down a whole other rabbit hole, but you know, a lot of times a nonfiction book, not always, but is a loss leader to something else. I think that's like another um, thing to think about because a lot of people when they write a nonfiction book, it's so they can have speaking gigs or they can try to, you know, it, it makes them an authority in a certain type of service or something like that as well. So I think that I say that because she asked about marketing and I think that kind of that does tie into the marketing aspect of it a little bit, too. Yeah, the, the speaking gigs thing, that, that's another whole avenue that a lot of people, I think, overlook. Um, I mean, you can get easily 2000 5000 Some people are getting twenty or $30,000 for, for an hour, you know, and, and the, they cover all your expenses to, you know, to, to attend um, while you're there, you know, per diems, all these these kind of things. Um, even libraries, you know, libraries, they've, they've got a certain amount of money budgeted every year to pay for speakers to come in. You know, a lot of that's government funding. They have to use it or it's gone. Um, you know, so these are all avenues that you can tackle when, when you're doing that sort of thing. All right. So we'll go ahead and jump to the next one. We've got a few here from Kristen Matthews. Um, first question is, how would each of you describe show, don't tell? We can start with uh, JD for this one. You know, it's funny. I got an email the other day from a, a teacher. Um, I, for, I think she's actually a, a listener, but, but she had mentioned that... Um, let me see if I can, uh, I should have pulled this email up. Um, she had mentioned that if you put with zombies after the verb, it'll basically tell you whether or not you're using passive voice. Um, I've heard and, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like that. that's one way to, to kind of feel it out. Um, it, literally, all you're trying to do is, is stay within the moment. Um, you know, natural storytelling, you know, you're, you're basically, you know, if you're telling somebody about something that happened in your life, you know, you went to the grocery store yesterday, it's obviously it's something that took place in the past. Um, so our, our brain works that way. We're, we're explaining something that already happened. Um, and, and that's how we're, we're, we're geared. Um, but when you're writing a book, you have to be in the moment. So you basically have to tell that story as it's happening. And that's where the real difference is. And that's where you really have to watch the language. Um, you know, there's the, the cop, you know, obvious things like using word words like was and stuff like that, you know, will yeah. you know, typically mean that you're, you're in that passive voice. Uh, but it goes, it goes beyond that. You know, you really have to look at it and just make sure you're, you're telling the story within the moment. It's, it's a live event taking place right there on the page. Yeah. Jay, what about you? You got some input on this one? Not much to add really. I mean, not much to say. I'll add just a little uh, thing. Um, you know, I think one, one like red flag is around emotion. So if you are, if you are telling the reader that someone is angry instead of showing that character being angry, yeah. that's another that's another way of looking at it. And uh, um, so, yeah, that's about all I would add to what JD said. Yeah, just uh, yeah. I mean, my big thing. I mean, JD mentioned it, but you know, try to get your wasses out and try to get verbs in there instead. And then you know, Jay, Jay just mentioned. You know, I mean, I use. I mean, this book is a godsend. I know we all we talk about it, but <laughs> the emotion thesaurus is amazing to try to you know, make your, your characters show their emotions instead of tell and things like that. So I think those are, those are your big things. So, um, all right. So Kristen, next question is, 
Um, and we'll go to Jay first for this one. Uh, besides writing, what would you recommend to do to grow in the craft when in-person events are not feasible? Well, second to, for me, second to, to writing only is reading. Yeah. <laughs> like you can read no matter what. So I like, I think the, I, I think what they're asking is, uh, like yeah okay growing craft yeah that that's i don't have any more to say yeah <laughs> if you're not writing reading is the next best thing you can be doing yeah. um i'm gonna throw networking out there just because it's something i think everybody should be should be doing on the side i mean it, probably four or five of my emails today were just corresponding with other authors you know and, and you know not asking them for anything they're not asking me for anything we're just talking about random stuff but sooner or later you know we're going to need each other for for something um so it's it's nice to have that that network out there um, so just communicating with other people, I think is, is a real big part of this process too. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, obviously if you're looking at, um, you know, what Jay said, there's nothing, I mean, reading is if, you know, to grow your craft and actually, you know, to study both the mechanics of writing and storytelling. But I would also add just from a storytelling perspective, you know, I mean, movies and TV shows have helped me out a ton too with, with that, just from, uh, general storytelling and and learning about character and getting that sparking ideas and things like that as well. I think those can help too, but nothing goes above reading and writing for sure. Um, and then uh, Christian has a fun one we can ask too. I think this will be really short, but uh, what are each of you going to dress up for us for Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> you don't tell that ahead of time. That's, that's, that's against true. the rules. <laughs> that's your out to say you don't have a costume. So that's, I might. that's good. I don't know. I might dress up as JD Barker. <laughs> so, well, we've already got our costumes. So my my daughter told me that she wanted to be a a green sea monster. Like she told me this like a, about two months ago. Um, so I loaded up the Amazon app and I just typed in children's Halloween costumes and I let her do the the scroll thing. And I, I figured she would just pick some random whatever. But like she ended up picking um a green sea monster from that cartoon Luca. Um, which is a, a Disney thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I waited like another day and I went through the same exercise again just to see, you know, if she would pick something different, but nope. So like four or five times in a row, she picked the exact same costume. So I went ahead and ordered it for her. So she's got that. Um, she also picked an Oscar the Grouch costume for my wife, um, which actually <laughs> arrived, arrived yesterday. And my daughter opened the package, which meant that, you know, my daughter saw it, which meant that my wife had to put it on. So my wife spent most of her day yesterday dressed like Oscar the Grouch running around the house, which is the funniest thing thing ever um and i'm going as a skeleton because for whatever reason my daughter likes skeletons so i just have to wear a skeleton t-shirt and i'm all good so I, I got off easy on this whole thing i've got the perfect costume for you that my buddy tw piper brooks showed me so i'll send that to you after the show i can't <laughs> i can't tell you what it looks like on the air but all right as long as there's no high heels we're all good yeah my daughter is uh i don't know what i'm doing i don't know i usually don't do anything because i'm lame but uh my my daughter picked exactly what you th- think the child of a metalhead horror author and a witch would pick she is going to be a black angel so <laughs> i was like that's pretty pretty awesome so you know i was like okay cool we got her costume she looks awesome so uh so christopher wills has a couple questions here actually he snuck one at the bottom too um he said this is a this is a good a good question we're gonna go to jd for this one uh, do you think Tolkien would be able to get Lord of the Rings, he specifies not The Hobbit, um, accepted for traditional publication today? Why or why not? 
probably not. I wouldn't uh, think so either. <laughs> I, I, I'm still trying to figure out how the movies got made. If, if you get a chance, just go on Google and read about that because Peter Jackson had to jump through some insane hoops. Like the studios were literally fighting him to keep it from getting made, like throwing throwing walls up in oh, front wow. of him, trying to keep it from happening. Um, so just the fact that that happened was was insane. I, I don't read a whole lot of fantasy novels. I, I did read all of those when I was a kid. Um, it, you know, it's, it's weird. Like even though they're long, like I had no problem spending like a month or two with a book when I was a kid. You know, and I, I, I kind of enjoyed that. You know, like you get lost in that story, you get lost in that world, and you're sad when when it's all over. Um, so I, I think it, somehow he he would have gotten it done. Um, but it, it it would be a tough sell in today's world. But fantasy in general, I think, is the one place where you can still write long without you know a whole lot of people raising their hand telling you to to chop fifty thousand words. Yeah, I don't think I have much more to add. I I just I don't know if it'd be able to get made. <laughs> or if I don't be, think people be, have the if patience. It would, if it'd be published, yeah, I don't think yeah. so. Um, uh, so Chris also asked this is an interesting question. Um, how would you go about inventing a religion for a fantasy or horror story? Where would you start? Either of you guys have any thoughts on that? That's kind of an interesting one. Jeez, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I think you have to look at where, and I don't want to get all philosophical on this, but you have to look at what religion was actually born from. Um, you know, like it's you know, literally cavemen looking up in the stars create a, you know, some form of religion. Um, when there's something that can't be explained, it was basically turned into some type of religious belief. So I think that's where a lot of that kind of stuff was was born. Um, so that's probably where I would start. I would I would look for something that can't be explained, and I would just build on that. Yeah, I think that's where where I where I would be too. Just. You know, look at what some of the the commonalities are in different religions, and how can you relate that to your to your story? Like, I, I think of uh, the Fallout Three video game, where there's a whole religion based around these people that worship a, a nuclear bomb that's in the middle of their town that never exploded, <laughs> and it's but it relates to that to the to the whole overall story and stuff like that. So, you know, that's my two cents, I suppose, on that one. Um, Christine Daigle, hey, Christine. Um, I'm curious what Stephen King collection JD asks his mentees to read and what questions are on the character sheet he uses before he starts writing a character. Um, well, I've got all of them behind me. So the, the one that I, I told everybody to pick up was Nightmare and Dreamscapes. Um, but you can, you can do it with any of them. And the, the whole point of that is, you know, King just happens to be very good at creating characters in a short amount of words. Um, and I, I tell people to pick up the short story collection because you get 20, 30 examples of, of that happening over and over again instead of, you know, just the, the beginning of a particular novel. Um, so I, I would start there. Um, as far as a character sketch, I, you know, I, I don't really have, you know, it's not like it's fields that I'm, I'm filling in. I, I just try to come up with something to basically describe that particular person. And it could be something personality wise. Um, I try to stay away from physical characteristics. Um, this is something I learned a long time ago. If, if you, you know, in your character sketch or in your story, if you tell people that a character has blonde hair and blue eyes, or you, you put those things out there, uh, you need to do it at the very beginning because the second anybody starts reading about a particular person, their brain starts to form an image of that person. Um, so if you put anything out there that contradicts the image that they've got in their head, it's going to take them out of the story. Um, and I've also learned for the most part, you don't have to do it at all like it's, it's actually a lot better to not mention physical characteristics because our brain you know for the same reason our brain will fill in those blanks and create that character and so they're more likely going to become a real person in that reader's mind with with less information rather than more um, what you can focus on are you know actions that they do or you know like do they speak in a particular way if they have a particular accent um, if they're you know impatient if they're angry if they're funny you know like those types of things that that also creates personality and characters um, and that that's where I tend to focus or I'm trying to anyway. Nice. 
Uh, so Christine also asks, with Jay recently finishing Save the Cat writes a novel, I'm wondering how each of you use it when you're writing fiction. Now, I will come out and say straight up, like, I've, I have read Save the Cat, but it was a while back. And I know for me, I've read, like, so many craft books that I feel like a lot of the specific things I learned from them kind of get lost. And I just end up, like, inherently doing them and doing those things I learned. So I say all that to say that from that specific book, I can't really attribute anything from it that I am using, but I know there are things. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, from, from my standpoint, you know, like I, I grew up without a TV in the house. I was reading pretty much my entire life from a very early age. Um, and so that's tro- story structure basically got ingrained in my head. Um, you know, so I, and I was writing stories, I was writing books before I ever picked up a craft book. And, you know, and it's funny when you do that, like if you read Save the Cat after the fact, like I can take any one of my novels and I can plug it into that formula for Save the Cat and it works. Um, and it's not because I, you know, magically understood this stuff, but it's because I, I saw that same pattern over and over again through everything that I read prior to writing that first book. And that pattern got ingrained in my head. So I just recreated it. Um, so those books on craft are fantastic, but I think in a large, you know, they're, they're mainly geared towards people who don't necessarily read a lot or haven't absorbed that particular structure um it it just kind of points it out and makes it a little bit more obvious to them gives you an actual formula to follow but it's not necessary if you read a lot you're you're going to know that formula whether you even realize it or or you don't well jay having just read it i mean is there any like do you have anything to add yeah i I think i think christine might have misunderstood a a comment i made in our author community because i read it for three-story method a long time ago and then i think i picked it back up for something else but uh, the beats. I think the I think the Save the Cat beats are great, and and I I think yeah. the qualifier here is they're especially important if you are looking to write a popular, mainstream accessible story, like a blockbuster style story. Like if you if you want if you want to write like a very obscure niche down fantasy romance mashup, then the Save the Cat beats might not be as important. But if you're looking for like the blockbuster, like the mainstream, the airport bookstore kind of story. I think they're all, those beats are almost indispensable. Awesome. All right, last question here, and we're going to go to uh, another one from Chris Wills. Uh, what percentage of fiction books do you think are bought and never read? Um, I ask this because I often buy a book based on a log line alone but never get around to reading it. Is it something you never hear writers talk about and show, and it just shows the value of a great log line? Great question. You, Jay, you're yeah, nodding your head. I know I, you got yeah, something to say. I have, I, I've, um, I've, I've mentioned this a few, in a few places in the past. And, and uh, specifically when, when Kindle Unlimited came out uh, and we were able to see aggregated page reads I think what got lost in that was the ability to know that people were reading your book yeah, because 100%. that's the only metric you have. If you sell hardcover or paperback or audio or ebook, once the sale is processed, I mean, that's great, right? Like that's what we're all about. That's what's going to pay the bills, but you don't know what happens to that book after that. Whereas with, with uh, page reads, at least in aggregate, you know, so I think it's a really interesting question and I, I couldn't begin to guess to say, how many books are, are purchased and never read. But I would have to think it's probably higher than we would all assume as authors. Well, like if I just look at my own thing, I have a ton of books that I bought and never read. And for various reasons, like either I saw them in BookBub because they were on sale and they looked interesting at the time or the cover caught my eye or or the log line, you know, the description and all that stuff. So 
Um, but yeah, I think what you bring up is it's somewhat related, but I mean, selling a book and getting someone to read and finish your book are two totally different things. I mean, there's a lot of authors that sell a ton of books, but don't necessarily get a lot of read through to other, to their other books or, or whatever. And, um, yeah, I agree. Like having, when that totally got lost, when that big change was made and you could actually see all oh, people were actually reading through the book and not just buying it and then letting it sit on their Kindle. So. I don't really have anything to add to that. Um, you know, it, it's funny. It kind of, in a lot of ways, it makes me think of like a used bookstore. You know, like all these books have been, you know, they're they're sitting in there. They've been out for 10, 20, 30 years, and you know, they still have a life of their own. And you know, one of the things that we do in, in my house, anytime somebody borrows a book, is we have them sign it in the back and date it when they bring it back. Um, and I got that idea from a, a copy of Adventures of Sherlock Holmes that my mom had found at a yard sale years ago. I, I flipped it open, and in the back, it had you know signatures and dates going back almost a hundred years. Um, it just kind of me in as to the life of that you know it's just that one little book you know but it, it's traveled the world and all these people saw it um so i guess that was like a precursor to, to what you guys are, are talking about um yeah from the, the the big publishing side though i mean that that's huge i mean that that's what they go for they, they want those those sales at the get-go so they want to get you with that cover they want to get you with the tagline the marketing the advertising they want everybody to go ooh, ooh i need to buy this and then put it on a shelf somewhere and they don't care whether you read it or not they just want to know that you pulled the trigger on that purchase Nice. I think that's a good point. I think, especially in the traditional publishing world, like the 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 goal out of the gate on a book publishing uh, launch is is different than what maybe the author thinks it is. Yeah, I mean, in the end, though, it's about longevity. You know, like if if you want a career, you know, like people do need to read that book. They need to enjoy that book, and they need to go. Oh, what else does this person you know have out there? Um, and they need to need to move on to the rest of your catalog. Um, otherwise, that you're just a flash in the pan, and you're you're gone. Nice. So uh, thank you, everyone, for all the questions. That'll wrap it up for this week. So, J.D., who do we have on next week? Next week, we've got Andrew Child. Um, so this should be ex exciting. So a Andrew is Lee Child's brother. Um, he's you know re taking over the, the entire Jack Reacher um, catalog or the, the books. Um, so he's been working hand-in-hand -hand with his brother on the last couple. Um, but they've got, I believe it's their second one coming out together um, very soon. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Excellent. Looking forward to it. To our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free Revision Masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.